Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series, speaking with the head coaches of our top 10 preseason teams entering the 2022 dual match season. On today's show, you're going to hear me speak with the head coach of our number eight men's preseason team. It's TCU men's tennis head coach David Roditi joining the podcast today to talk about a tumultuous but ultimately successful 2021 campaign. Of course, his team dealt with so many different nagging injuries throughout the course of of the year, and yet they were able to secure a seventh consecutive top 10 finish, able to reach another NCAA quarterfinal, earn another share of a Big 12 title, unequivocally had to have been a success. And of course, as always, we talk with Coach Roditi about he, how he captures that success, carries it into this 2022 season. We talk about some of the new contributors he brings onto campus this year. We talk about why he's so fascinated by pickleball as well. Always a fun time. When we had the chance to speak with Coach Roditi, who, by the way, just had his 48th birthday a few days ago. If you're hearing this podcast now, go you know, tweet him on Twitter at David Roditi TCU and say, happy birthday, Coach. You know, 48 years old, doesn't look a day over 47. Uh, certainly always enjoy the opportunity to speak with our friend Coach Roditi. Now it's worth mentioning, you want to hear more about this TCU team, you can go hear our conversation about them. Matt uh, Stokowiak, Chris Halioris, who, by the way, joined me on this podcast for the Roditi interview. You can hear Matt, Chris, and I break down this TCU team over on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can read Matt's extended thoughts on them on our website, CrackRackets.com. You can also go listen and watch a nice three to five minute summary video on them on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, if you missed our number nine and number 10 breakdowns for the men, you can go read about number nine, Arizona, number 10, Kentucky. Hear from them, their head coaches as well over on the website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, on the women's side, we've broken down number 10. I don't want to give away – at this point, I'm afraid I'm going to give away spoilers and say the wrong team in the wrong spot. But I know we've spoken about number 10, Ohio State, number 9, Texas A&M. Now today, number 8, Duke as well. You can find all of that content again on the website, crackrackets.com, and expect more of it over the next 10 weeks as we try to prepare all of you college tennis fans for another exciting dual match season. But with that said – You've heard enough about the plugs. You know where to find all of the content. You want to hear our conversation with head coach David Roditi. So let's get to it. Westoff, hit those credits. Let's get to today's show. Joining us on the podcast once again today, the head coach with the most appearance on the Crack Interviews podcast in college tennis. Of course, you know him as the head coach of the TCU men's tennis team. We know him as our friend, Coach David Roditi. Coach, happy belated birthday to you. Welcome back to the show. The only gift I could think of is having you back on, so hopefully it does the job. It, it does the job. It's always <laughs> a pleasure to be with you guys. Appreciate everything you do, and it's uh, always always fun to talk about whether the season that's going on or the upcoming season and i really appreciate the invite oh, it is our pleasure to have you and for whatever it's worth we have your team as our number eight preseason team heading into the 2022 season and i will say this i have texted around with some other coaches and they say alex you guys are severely 
underrating this TCU team. So let's get right into it. I want to start first by just asking, how nice has it been to have a full fall once again, given everything you guys went through last year, just to be able to actually have the guys on campus and work with them the normal amounts? Yeah, I mean, COVID-wise, it's great. It's great to get back to sort of a normal, normalized fall season with the ITA and then the ITA Nationals in San Diego. That was, I know, three of our guys really enjoyed doing that. Um, for us, you know, we had we had a lot of injuries, so I don't know how normal it was for us just with, with so many guys out this fall. But uh, hopefully they'll be back uh, January 12th to, to start our season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, you, you talk about those injuries, and I know that was part of the story for you all last year. And, you know, just so you know, we're interviewing every Power 5 men's and women's coach before the start of the 2022 season. And as such, I've had the chance to look through all of the doubles pairings, you know, how many are played per you know team in a usual amount during the year. Normally, you see about 7 to 10 doubles pairings. Now, last year, I believe you guys played 15 different pairings. And I know part of that was a byproduct of injury, but I'm curious curious again the resilience you've seen from your guys these past 15 months and just their ability to overcome these adverse situations whether it be injury covid anything else what have the past 15 months been like for this TCU program and given all the injuries are you surprised with the amount of success yeah i i i i've said before you know we finished 5 5th 5th in the nation in the end of the year rankings, we we share a title for the Big 12 Conference. And I don't think people realize, I think maybe only you guys or the people that were very close to the program realize all that we had to deal with injury-wise. And unfortunately, we right now, right now we're looking, we're looking like it's going to happen again. So I just, um, I don't know, it's frustrating. You asked me, what was it like? It was frustrating. It was... It was exhausting. I give credit, 100% credit to our guys for putting up with it, dealing with it. We were on the road the whole year last year. People were canceling road trips to us, and we would just say, no problem. We'll just come to you. And I think, I don't know, 16 of the 23 matches were on the road. So uh, that was a lot. We were asking a lot from the guys. And if I had to pick one person in particular that that stood out last year as a leader and our sort of our energizer bunny and our accountability guy, not to take away f- credit from the rest of the guys who did an unbelievable job. It was Alistair Gray. And 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 that's to me, that's gonna be the biggest the biggest uh, void uh, not only him as a player, as a doubles player, but as as the and I'm waiting to see who on this team is going to step up. Uh, we have a couple seniors or fifth-year seniors, but, you know, the Aguilar and Tim Rule, but they were in, in another program, so it's hard for them to maybe take on that role, but they might, they might have to uh, just uh, not be shy and, and step up and be our leader. 
Mm-hmm. And you talk about the role Al played last year, and you know, just looking at the numbers, you know, there are only you know three guys who I think played more than twenty matches for you last season. It was Alistair, it was Luke Famba, it was Teddy Paralek, and you know, in particular, at the top of that lineup, what Alistair and Luke were able to do, you know, Al goes fifteen and eight overall in dual matches, and eight and five at that number one spot. Luke goes uh, fourteen and six overall, nine and three at two, and you know, they were eleven and seven at the number one double position and it even started you know national indoor weekend and that first you know crazy weekend in champagne where you guys are putting together whatever you can just to find players to play five and six singles and yet you emerge from that weekend with a victory what did you see from those two guys at the top of the year you talk about the leadership they brought what was that commitment day in day out yeah i mean uh, it you, you you're not gonna find the more professional more conscientious player than Alistair Gray uh, every day, every single day, he, he makes the most of it. And obviously it, 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 it helps the rest of the guys to, to watch that on a daily basis. He's not afraid to speak up and for him and Fumba to, to do what they did at the top of our lineup, which if you would have asked me going into last year's season, if you, if you would have forced me to pick what's your strength, what are you concerned about? I would have said, the strength of our lineup is at the bottom. I thought we were very deep with with guys like Jerosek and Paralek uh, at, at the bottom of our lineup, of a healthy lineup. I would have, I would have said, yeah, our strength is three, three through six. We should we should win a lot of matches and for Forma and, and Alistair to do what they did. That is the reason why we had the year that we did. Yeah. So you you, you talk about Alistair, coach, and before we get on with with. The, the team this year, you, you know, in in the over the last several years, you've seen seen really three of your top guys now. Now that you had Alistair, you got you had obviously, you know, three, four years ago, you had Cam Nori. Then you had Rybakov. Now you have Gray, all of them going on at Cam, obviously, you know, 12 in the world now, just unreal. And, and Alex and, and Alistair both doing fairly well out there. How much do you keep up with those guys out on? on the on the pro tour and what they're doing uh and how much how fun is it to see that uh we we keep up with them on a daily basis we have a chat it's called uh frogs on the tour devin bowen our other coach he leads that whole side of our of our program that's i would say that's 50 percent of his job is just continue to work with those guys continue to help them with scheduling continue to train them Nori was at TCU three to four times this year to train for a week at a time. And uh, so Devin's still heavily involved on a daily basis. Rybakov basically lives at his house. And and then we have guys like Reese Stolder, who's doing great in doubles, won a bunch of futures, just won a challenger in Puerto Vallarta um, to finish the year. He's having a great year. Nick Chappell's out there. Rybakov had to have surgery at the end of the year, but he had a nice, nice year getting in the one, you know, his highest ranking so far. So it's fun. And then Alistair won back to back futures uh, 25. So it's, it's just been awesome. That's, that was the, that was the goal four or five years ago is to have a, a bunch of frogs out there representing TCU on the tour and, and it's happening and it's, it's a lot of fun to, to watch that. I think we had five TCU players 
in Puerto Vallarta. And, and, and let's not forget Jerry Lopez, who's also out there uh, doing well playing Davis Cup for Mexico, won some huge, huge matches for Mexico to beat uh, Bulgaria on the road in Davis Cup. So, yeah, it's it's great. It's a, it's a big part of our program. It's almost like half and half, the TCU team and then the ex-TCU team on the tour. Uh, and then, obviously, what Cameron has done this year is just – it's just so much fun to, to watch him and his coach, Facundo Lugones, who also played at TCU. They were teammates. It's amazing to see them uh, work together. And Facundo's done an unbelievable job. I think he should have been up for the coach of the year. Probably Methodist, maybe, because he won the you know, US Open and all that. But um, otherwise, I think it'd be Facundo who win coach of the year. Yeah, you, you mentioned Devin in there. So a, a, a couple... Uh couple side questions there one whose stupid idea was it to stand on a chair to try to simulate Riley's serve for cam and watch Devin almost break his ankle falling off and two that was, are you afraid you're gonna lose him to cam's private coach now wait wait say, say that it, it wasn't Devin that was Facundo Lugones who, oh, was, who it? was doing that that was Facundo and he, yes uh. he almost he almost did break uh yeah, it looked like he about broke his ankle. I think I saw it from Devin's Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, that was funny. And it worked because the reason why Cameron was able to beat Riley is because of the way he returned that match. So they did something right. Yeah. Are you afraid now that Cam has some serious money, he's going to steal Devin from you? <laughs> oh, don't worry. He already tried many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> Many times. Yeah. It's not happening. No. It's not happening. You know, it's it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy being a coach. I think we have the best. If if you want to work with high performance players at the highest level, college tennis is the best job. I remember Peter Smith talking about that and, and it is. It is true that we have it the best way because we we're not on the road every week. I mean that's a hard hard way to go about it is to be on the road every week uh, with one player. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. So no, I, I'm not worried at all that Devin uh, is going anywhere. He's, I <laughs> no. got, I got full, full handcuffs on him. He's not going anywhere. Good. You'll get him some NIL money if need be. We'll get him that name image likeness around town. Um, but- I, I, got, I got one, one last yeah. Devin question, coach. Has he got you to buy any cryptocurrency yet? Uh, he has, and thank, uh, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, um, he did. I wish I would have bought it when he first told me about it about ten years ago or fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be driving to the airport uh, if that would have been true. I, I'd be flying to Cabo on my private jet if that if I had done that. Uh, when he told me about it. So, and it's actually been fun. That's actually, you know, he's been teaching, he's been teaching Ravikov and Alistair Gray and, and Juan Martin all about cryptocurrency. So he's, he's actually kind of an expert at it. He's been dealing with it since day one. So um, if you ever want to talk crypto, you should, you should definitely call Devin. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. No, and, you know, again, I will save the cryptocurrency, I suppose, for later. That's outside my strike zone. But I will say, you know, you talk about the opportunity to coach a bunch of high-performance athletes. And obviously, you know, last season we did think it would be guys like Fernley and Jirasek and, you know, Sander Jong, who obviously dealt with a ton of injury issues throughout the course of the year. But, you know, all those guys are back this season. And, again, those are – that's the nucleus. That's the team that – you know, the guys that – have been a part of the program and have been a part of these, you know, multiple top 10 finishes, NCAA quarterfinals, et cetera. What have you seen from those guys? It sounds like there's been a lot of, you know, injury nagging bugs, but what have you seen from those guys this year as they, you know, Famba as well, step up to fill the void left by, you know, the departure of guys like Kruger and Gray? Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been hard to, uh, to sort of measure some of them. Like Fernley's been, it's been hurt. All fall, Jurassic has basically been out. Tim Rule's been out, but uh, Sander Jung is the guy that, to me, right now, if you if I had to pick somebody that that would have to step up and and be our sort of a role model on how to go about becoming a professional tennis on a daily basis, he shows up every single day as well. He's kind of the the Alistair of that uh, this year. He's not quite as vo- a vocal as of a leader as Alistair was, but Sander uh, is a great role model. It's a great example to follow. He he has almost beaten me once in golf out of about <laughs> 10 tries. And uh, I reminded him yesterday that I'm 48 years old now and he still hasn't beaten me in golf. So I know that's burning him. Uh, and, and I know it's, my days are numbered as to when I may never beat him again. So it, for the meantime, I let him know every every day. But uh, he's he's our guy. He's the guy there that shows up on a on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm glad we have you back on the show, though, so I can get the update. How is the golf game coming? That's always an area of concern whenever we talk to you. The short game's coming along? Uh, no pun intended, right? <laughs> uh, uh, so, no, not, no, it's... Uh, you know, responsibilities have, have gotten in the way. That was uh, one one advantage of when we had to keep our distance, no better place than a, a tennis court or a golf course. Mm-hmm. So the game was an all-time high, and now it's now it's not. <laughs> uh, uh, you can ask Eaton. Uh, he's, he's got probably the title of the best golfer out there on the, on the coaches' uh, you know, of all the college coaches, I would put Eaton up there. Uh, Macy, USC, he's a great golfer. Uh, Ramsey is a good one. Uh, David Delusha, if he's still at Penn, he's probably up there with Eaton. I mean, those guys are, they have plus handicaps. It's too, too good. Too good. I don't know. I don't know when, when he works, but he obviously does a good job both ways. I've heard stories about the golf rounds that go on at Kalamazoo, and I've just begged for an invite to one of those games. I'm like, what do I have to do to get in and on an 18? You just gotta, you just gotta be in the chat. You just gotta be in the chat and and me and come out with us. You'll see, you'll see a different side of uh, of all the golf, of all the college coaches. You'll see a different side on the golf course. Uh, but it is, it is a lot of fun, and I I do believe in be able to put our jobs aside and just be human beings and being friends and, and compete in a different way. And it's, uh, 
it's always it's always fun. Golf seems to be the the way. If I was in charge of the convention, uh, I would I would make uh, golf uh, a big part of the coaches' convention in some way, and maybe uh, maybe followed by pickleball. It'd be interesting to see what what whatever. Have you have you have you gone into the pickleball world yet? So the thing is, I'm I still have knees that work, so I try not to you know commit to pickleball too soon but i will say because i'm i mean was i college tennis good no but i i if it's a binary scale are you good at tennis or not i'm closer to a one than a zero and so there are some games by my parents house where whenever i was in town the people would be like hey come play in our pickleball games because i know what i'm doing with a pickleball racket in my hand and yeah i've dabbled it's fun but like again i i still like tennis yes Yes. Yes. No, it's way more complex, but uh, it is kind of fun to pick up a sport on day one and be sort of way above average just from tennis. I'm sure you are very good at pickleball, coach. Well, the court doesn't seem as big, you know, so that (laughs) that does work. I I did play one tournament with my brother. My brother's a a professional pickleball player. And uh, I lost to a kid that was 16 years old. He looked about 12 years old probably weighed a hundred pounds it's it's on I, I posted it and uh i definitely got got burned but yeah that's uh kind of payback you know i used to do that when i was a little kid uh playing tennis to adults and now i get to be on the other side it's kind of it's kind of fun to be uh on the other side now yeah pickleball singles is uh, we've really gone off the rails here but pickleball singles that doesn't i love the doubles like that's great but i i is pickleball singles a thing it is a thing. It is a thing. Okay. It's not as popular as doubles because one of the reasons everybody plays it is mm-hmm. you don't have to move as much. And in pickable singles, you do have to move uh, a bunch. So it kind of there's it's limited, and that's more for the younger sort of the up and coming younger guys. But uh, you see a lot of ex ex college tennis players be the best pickleballers out there in the world, and uh, it'll be very interesting to see where where pickleball goes. But I. I just I do think there is a there is a part that we need to embrace and you know for us college programs any activity that I will do from now on when it comes to whatever some kind of alumni event or or uh, getting you know maybe a clinic to the community pickleball will, it's a it's a great venue to do that I uh, we did a a sort of a mixer in a welcome back to school to our business school with the dean of the business school he's a big tennis fan and we did a big pickleball event with the with the whole staff from the business school which is our one of our prestigious most prestigious degrees in schools here at tcu and and it was awesome because you can you can pick it up on day one so that's why i brought up pickleball i do think for college programs to embrace it and use it as a venue to either do fundraisers or community involvement type situations get the campus involved get the students involved tcu is a uh, it's i mean uh pickleball is a great great way to do that yeah i, I can see it now gruskin we're gonna go cover a match at tcu and it's you and me against uh devin and rodidi and pickleball as long as they got the lines on the court and uh, over there well <laughs> it, it's fun it's fun i mean it, it'll it be fun. fun I, sure. I, I got something. I got something up my sleeve that I'm working on. I like uh, it. for maybe next fall or maybe in the spring as a promotional deal. 
Um, but uh, we'll see if I can make it happen. All right. Well, let's go. G getting back to the team here, Coach. Get, we got. I feel like first, I feel, there must have been some sort of gentleman's agreement here in the musical chairs round robin we played with Aguilar from A&M to you, Teddy from you to Baylor, Dokia from Baylor back to A&M. I mean, I think we can all guess who lost out in that arrangement. But beyond that, like uh, in a more on a more serious note, kind of what was the uh, you know what was the first straw in, in in all of that happening, and how how did things play out there? Yeah, I mean, there was musical chairs um, all around the country. I in one of our in one of our I think it was a coaches meeting or a coach's chat, a national one, I said, hey, when are we going to start the, the free trade uh, or the, you know, the <laughs> sort of the Calcutta, the Calcutta top, top, you know, talk, Aguilar going for 100% scholarship, Aguilar going for 90% scholarship. I got, I got Paralek. Who's taking Paralek? I mean, it's, it's amazing with all this, you know, transfer portal and it's just crazy. And, uh, yeah, there, you know, there are a lot of really good programs here in Texas. So, so naturally guys like being in Texas and they want to stay around here. And I guess there's a place for everybody. I think, I think Bertus Kruger may even go to UT. I, I don't know, but I, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so, so I guess there's uh, plenty, plenty going around for everybody. Yeah. But I, I, I do want to say, I think the first straw was that we got Aguilar. That was earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no, that, that kind of, that kicked it all off then, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, how many, how many five foot six Latin coaches are out there? I mean, if I, <laughs> if we can't get Aguilar, then, then I should, I should be fired. <laughs> Fair. I'm curious though, you know, again, talking about, and it's not obviously just Aguilar, but you bring in Tim Rule as well. And look, you're a guy who's been able to bring in a ton of top recruits and you've been able to develop them as well. But I'm curious how, and I know right now it's more pronounced than ever before, just because we have five classes of high school graduates in college tennis due to the COVID right. extra year of eligibility. But right. how does the availability of players on the transfer portal, the fact that you know, and it's not always an Aguilar, but you can go find someone to play five and six singles for you probably right now. How do you balance that as uh, that aspect of recruiting with the traditional, again, building for the long term at TCU through the ordinary freshman process? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I if you would have asked me, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of kind of against the whole transfer portal sure. deal. I don't think it's good for anybody, but, uh, you know, it is different times and weird times. And, and the reason why we went in there is because last minute, a bunch of our guys decided not to come back for their fifth year. And it started with, with Burtis Kruger and then Juan Martin, and then now Alistair Gray. So when, you, when the last minute you're losing players last minute and then the whole parallel situation didn't come up until end of April, then you're forced to to get somebody sort of last minute and no better place than the portal. So that that does help. But I can't wait. I can't wait for that to be over. I, I can't wait to go back to just regular recruiting and getting some 17 year olds and develop them. I think that's. That's what college tennis is all about, not about free agency and and kind of, you know, plugging holes here and there. 
uh, and, and, and as a development just for, for them as, as people, as person, as young men, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good situation. Uh, the whole transfer portal, you know? Um, so, but you know, during the time at this time, you gotta, if you want to compete and you got to get it done, then, then yeah, that, that's what we had to do. So I'm very pleased with, with Tim and, and, um, and little Charlie. Yeah. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit because I do think it's a good thing that transfers have been destigmatized, right? That if a kid leaves a school, it's no longer just assumed that either A, the kid is a nightmare or B, the coach in the program's a nightmare, right? Like I think it's probably a good thing long term for college tennis to have, you know, again, to just be able to offer kids various opportunities throughout the course of their careers i also think it probably forces you guys i didn't know this isn't a good thing maybe but it forces you guys to be more accountable like you know these kids talk you know they're all saying well this is what happens here and this is what happens there and i agree there are definitely some greasy elements to it but it does feel like the entire transfer process has been destigmatized and i think that's a good thing coach yeah yeah i mean i i think there's a there's a good and in everything and there's sure. a negative on, on, on everything as well. I, um, yeah, accountability is always great. Competition is always great. That's what this whole country is based on. So it's, that's all good. I, I agree with you. I just, I, you know, the other side of that is, is players that are, you know, face a little challenge or sure. tough situation and they can just push the exit button so easily. And not maybe go through the process of of making some changes personally or attitude wise or whatever. But you're right. I mean, it's it. it, it you don't want a, a player in the wrong situation just because it, he doesn't want to go through the like you said the stigma of, of of being a transfer. He can maybe find a better fit. I mean, we've had players in the past. Um, that, that weren't a fit and they found a better situation and, it, and it's all good. I think when you have the right in, intentions and you care about the players as a person, it should all work out at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I don't, I, I don't, um, I do think there's a, a good positive side to all of it. Yeah. So, so tell us a, l- a little bit coach about the, the new guys, uh, you know, I don't know. I think technically maybe Vives isn't a freshman. He might be a sophomore, but, but you've got a, a couple new guys in, in Maxted and Vives. What, what, uh, how are they looking uh, through the fall? I know they've both gotten to play. What have you seen in them coming in? Yeah, it's been, it's been great. I feel it's part of our highlight of this fall where, where those two guys, uh, Vives is a freshman. He's got four years of eligibility. Okay. The young freshmen, so they're kind of opposite. I think they're they might be two or three years apart. And they're both freshmen, so that is interesting. Louis, Louis, and also another Alistair Gray shows up on a daily basis. Uh, he's he's got a great attitude. He he works hard. Uh, absolutely no issues with him at all. Uh, Vives got a lot of game, a lot of game, and I think college tennis is going to be great for him just from a competitive uh point of view and and um sort of being exposed you know it doesn't take long for for other coaches and other programs to know every single 
little weakness of, of each player and they exploit it and that forces you to, you know, toughen up and, and, and grow up and, and compete harder and, 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 and become better, you know, and get better. Uh, so I think uh, it's been great for two freshmen to get to the semifinals of the fall nationals. I thought it was remarkable. It's very hard to do for two freshmen to do what they did in doubles. So that was a huge highlight. And uh, Vives had a nice win at Futures over uh, Magnoli. So shows that he can play at the top at the top level of college tennis. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with them in the next four years. Hopefully we're, we're talking about them uh, eight years from now, you know, on the tour. Yeah, in addition to that McNally win, you know, he had a nice win over another guy too. You want to know who that? You know who that one is, right? Uh, Vives. Yeah. Uh, can you he remind beat, me? He beat Ribo back in May. Oh yeah, that 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 cost us a little more on the scholarship end, but uh, <laughs> we we're we're slowly we're slowly charging Ribakov for that one. Yeah. He has to pay you the Bitcoin that he mined with Coach Bowen. It's like one yeah, Bitcoin exactly, loss. exactly. Yeah, put me on the you know put me on the list there. Uh, no, yeah, I mean obviously anybody that beats Riva, he's got he's got my vote. I don't care. I don't care what surface. I don't care what conditions. You beat Rybakov, you can play. Yeah. So we so we go forward. You know, every year, and I I'm really at at a loss here. We always have to play the the guess the lineup game, right? And my guess is is you probably have you're you're probably almost as clueless as me. Not quite, but but almost, especially with all the injuries going in this year. But well, uh, that's yeah, that makes it easy, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I have to believe in in Chris's world here. I got to play Famba at one. I mean, big game, been around, you know, uh, and is is one of the guys that you you know was already at the top of the lineup last year behind behind Alistair with him gone. Uh, so so that seems like a no brainer to me. But I haven't gotten to see a lot of Vives yet, and you know, and then obviously uh, and Sander, I think is you know to me those two guys kind of. In, in my mind kind of sit in that in that next level and then uh and then the guys that sort of you know you're hoping get over the injury bug right you got jeer second fernley kind of look like a you know a, a great uh great set there and ag and where do you slide aguilar in right he played everything from one to three at, at a and m and could play anywhere in the lineup so uh i mean it, if they're all healthy it's a great luxury to have if they're not boy you're you're uh you're in a little bit, a little bit of roster trouble, aren't you? <laughs> well, a hundred percent. We only have eight players on our team. So we, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. The injury is going to be really hard this year. We don't have, we don't have Max Kurzban or Roldan to, to jump in there when, when we needed them so that we're going to miss that. Um, I, I, I guess the best way I can just simplify that whole lineup is that we might have a sort of a outdoor type lineup and then an indoor type lineup. You know, where you have a Fumba who's probably better indoors with the serve and even Jung. And then you have an Aguilar that he's probably a little bit better outdoors. So it's it's kind of a, it might, the indoor or outdoor might might decide part of our lineup issues. But uh, no, it's a good problem to have. It's it's the good and the bad, right? I mean, you have a guy like Jerosek who had a great summer, great summer. He's he, You could make an argument for him to play one if he's fully 
fully healthy. And, and then you have Rule, who's a fifth-year senior who was beating Stanford number two last year. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I don't, yeah, I don't worry about it too much because I feel like I could give the names to our uh, opponents and say, here, you, you, you put them wherever you want. I don't <laughs> care. Uh, that's how confident we are of our lineup on paper. But uh, hopefully we don't have to do too much of what we did last year, which was raise your hand if you are physically able to play today. <laughs> and then hopefully we would get to six and then go play, which looks like that might be the case at the beginning of the years. And, and you saw our schedule is ridiculous. So right now, if you ask me, what's your goal? Our goal right now, because of our injuries and our schedule, our goal is to be 500 mm-hmm. and just get us in the NCAs. Uh, that's how kind of scary it is uh, with our schedule. We're playing Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Virginia, Baylor, uh, uh, Illinois, Tulane on the road, South Florida, UCLA. Those are all just the non-conference matches. Mm-hmm. Um plus our Big 12 schedule and uh, SMU, uh, the kickoff, kickoff night, and then the Nationals, hopefully. I mean, it's a pretty tough, uh, pretty tough group. Yeah, no doubt about that. And true story for you listeners, I actually got a text from Coach Rodidi asking me if I could fly out to Malibu last year to play in the Pepperdine match. He was like, I just need you for three doubles. He's like, I just won match. And I was like, I don't <laughs> want to drive in that van on the way back to the airport. I know how quickly that rush is going to be. Um, but, you know, you talk about the schedule. And again, it's a team, you know, what was so fascinating, you guys didn't bring in any of the COVID senior transfers really last season. You guys were still able to have all of this success and you bring back, you know, a lot of familiar faces. That said, opening weekend, I know there's a match on Wednesday, but then that first Friday, Florida, that first Sunday, Tennessee, it might be out of order there, but aggressive scheduling by you. What's the reasoning behind that? Well, the re- it's fun. It's fun to play the best programs. Uh, we get to play them at home. I thought it would be great for a crowd. It's, it's always fun to compete against those teams. We have the team. I, I feel like on paper we're, we can beat those teams. We're, we're at their level, so why not, why not get in going? I mean, obviously, if I had to do it all over again, knowing what our health situation is, I wouldn't have done it. But, uh, yeah, I thought, why not? Let's, let's, let's see what we got and um, – yeah, it's extremely aggressive. At the same time, I, our guys, they, they're at that level. So, um, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be something for everybody to kind of not wait too long for the season to get started to see some, some tough matches out there. Mm-hmm. And one other follow-up I would have on that schedule, and it was something that was a byproduct of last year, was they waived the 500 rule. And obviously that was because a bunch of different teams couldn't compete out of conference or didn't really have the chance to get their season going and travel as frequently as they do. Is that something you would like to see gone, that they just waive the 500 rule permanently? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because, because, because of the 500 rule, you see, you know, scheduling double headers and, scheduling teams that that may not be fun for anybody I mean, you could argue that as well that a team whatever that's ranked 100 is fun for them to get to play Ohio State or whatever I, I don't know if it is or not um, thankful well I have been well no I haven't been on that side really too much but but uh so I don't know if that really does help those programs or not but if you're 
it should be a measure of your level, not uh, not your schedule. And the 500 rule is based on on your schedule. You can control it just by scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, so it should just be by having the best 64 teams at, at nationals and giving those that are automatic qualifiers. So you have the best 45 teams, not the 45 teams that, that uh, were able to schedule according to their injuries and their situation. Mm-hmm. No, and you know, with that in mind, I'm also curious: is 25 competitive dates enough? Or you know, again, if you're trying to build pro players and pro models, eight-hour rule, I suppose, factors into this as well. Is it time to re-examine those numbers? Because simply put, there are too many times when a player turns to a coach and says, "Hey, can you coach me?" And you just have to say, "Well, according to the rules, no, I cannot coach you right now." Yeah, absolutely. If I was if I was in charge, I get rid of the of that rule as well and give us 30 or 35 and be able to help our, you know, our college guys. And then at the same time with the way athletics is going, um, it's, that's more money, right? More expenses. So, uh, you know, five years from now, we might be begging to just be able to do what we are able to do today. So it's, it's scary out there, all these changes, all this conference switching and, and the financial strain that, football is putting into our athletic departments to be able to compete at the highest level and then all the different expenses like the cost of attendance and the, now the academic money and the all that stuff nil how is nil going to take away money from from the athletic department and go directly to the players it's um yeah it's very interesting so we're just really glad you know happy and thankful that we get to do what we get to do mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of silly, Coach, and for the listeners that don't know, you know, it, with relation to the, the 25 dates that you you can have your guys, you know, you're in Texas, there's a future, say, over in Austin, right? There's another one in Harlingen or wherever. There's there's plenty of, of ITF futures tournaments in Texas, and, you know, it, it, it seems silly that if you want to take the guys uh, as a team over and, you know, three or four or five of them are all going to play, that costs you a date, but yet you can tell them, Hey, you guys just drive over by yourself and I just stay home. And now it doesn't cost a date. Right. I mean, right. Right. That's that's, it's kind of crazy that that's the way it works. And, and, you know, and these guys in in a lot of cases, right. With a lot of the programs, yours is no exception. You get a lot of international guys, you bring these guys over and you tell them, yeah, go hop in a car, go, go grab a car, rent one. If you don't have one, because you're, you're an international student. And, uh, you know, and drive a couple hours over in Texas to this tournament. I just can't go with you. I mean, that's kind of silly. It, it is. It is. And it's not it's not the best for the student athletes. Right. Um, that that would be part of our argument. Um, we had a little situation with one of our foreigners driving to Austin for the futures and got pulled off by a cop. Uh, just, you know, driving a little fast. Not nothing crazy. Ten miles per hour over the speed limit on the highway and. And they don't even understand the rules of of how you're supposed to pull over. So it's a little bit of a scary situation for them. Absolutely. And again, just to get back, because I know you've got to get to again all these various places. I didn't. I know you didn't want to mean to cut off your story there, but just again, uh, for for these players in general, these competitive opportunities. We've seen so many campuses host pro events. I know you guys were able to host a couple of ITF events as well. How important is that now to be able to offer that to these college players? Oh, it's it's amazing. I mean, if you think about what we're able to offer to these 
18 year olds or whatever, 20 year olds. It's, it's amazing. It's awesome. It's, it's why we have guys like Cameron Nori uh, out there uh, representing college tennis on the tour, 12 Isner, all those guys. It's because what we can do here, our, our budgets, you can't compare our budget at, let's say, TCU or Ohio State, Florida with the, you know, federation from Bolivia or the federation from Cyprus or the federation from Greece or Mexico, or they might only be the LTA or somebody like that that can compete at that level. Yeah, it again, it and it speaks to the quality of college tennis right now, the depth it takes to be at the top of the sport. Now, uh, again, with all that said, I, I do want to ask you some fun ones before we go. Obviously, format's been changed a bunch over the past few years. One thing I would love to see added, a timeout. We're just, let's say things are going poorly and you lost four first sets or you're just losing a grip on the match. Would you be in favor if coaches just at one point could call a three-minute timeout, you get to bring all your guys in and just be like, all right, let's reset, let's focus? I should, I should, I should know better. You're always good at these hypothetical <laughs> questions. And it's, it, you know, it's like you might get down to the fundamental of are you a traditionalist with tennis or, or not? Um, I guess what I could say is that there are there have been many, many times that I've wanted to call a timeout uh, and not just for three minutes. It's like, can we can we get a rain delay somehow here yeah. and, and, and start over tomorrow? So um, so a three minute team timeout, it I guess what I would say is that it. The only way that would work is if you're if you're losing all of them. You know, because there might be a guy that you don't want. You don't want to change anything. Uh, you know, it, tennis, there's the, the whole tradition of tennis, part of what makes tennis so unique and special and such a good developmental tool for these young men and women is that you're out there on your own. So already college, we get to we get to be with them on the court. We get to coach them. Basically, we can go on the court and coach now. You don't have to wait uh, for a for a break, or you don't have to walk across the net pretending like you're cro- walking across the net to, to to be able to coach your players. Which uh, I think there was a match I literally walked across the net every single point uh, during a doubles match just so I could say something to to uh, my players. So we already get to do a lot, mm-hmm. and um, you know. May, and they already have that timeout. It's called you lose the first set and then you take a five minute bathroom break that everybody does that already. So I feel like, okay, there's your timeout. So I don't know if an additional three minute timeout, that, that'd be, uh, I don't know how applicable that would be as a team. Uh, obviously for a player, he can just go to the bathroom or, or, you know, fake an injury or something. No, fair. My last one for you, because I know you got to go. Uh, it's just I hate that we lose the momentum from the doubles point in the 10-minute pause between doubles and singles. Now, you don't lose that at TCU because you walk out of the stands and there's 22 different food trucks and you can try sushi in Fort Worth and do all these different cool things. And obviously, you've done an exceptional job of embracing that fact. But I do just think a simultaneous start is just more beneficial for college tennis moving forward. And obviously from a TV product, that's a debate that's constantly happening. But one more hypothetical for you. One doubles, four singles. They all start at once. 
What can you do, though, to ensure those doubles players have a rep to play singles? You get one substitution per match. Are you in favor, Coach? Man, you got to give me a little heads up with these questions. <laughs> um, so my concern with with the 4-1, which is there's a lot of advantages, and this came up a lot when we were talking about format uh, three, four, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just opportunities for our for our young men and women out there that would cut down the rosters a little bit Mm -hmm. um i believe you know there would be less people playing college tennis um unless you could argue that if you do that then you would have more tennis teams i I do think one or two spots would be would be lost um you could argue still six players but i i do think it you you always have one or two double specialists and then the rest Mm -hmm. play singles um, one substitution. So w- what do you mean by that? You're saying that during the match, you can like team tennis, you can take a person out and then put them in singles. So doubles is done and you decided to play, you know, gray and Jirasek. And now it's like, all right, I want gray to sub in on this court where we're down six, two, three, one, Al, you're in like, come back and play. Yeah. Or maybe it's just, you know, you know, Fernley doesn't have it on this day. So we're going to give Juan Martina run here on six. We're just going to call the substitution. I just would love to see that. Like, I would love to see that additional element thrown in. Ah, I know I may be the only one. I mean, that's a tough one. Um, You're a competitor. You're, you're, (laughs) you, you are results oriented, bottom line, Suck it up and just go out there and battle. And and I would say that would be my natural state. I've learned dealing with young men that, you know, uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a whole psychological side to it. It just, you're pretty cutthroat. You're pretty cutthroat. You're like, hey, you're not getting it done today. Sit down. I'm putting somebody else in. I, I did tell one of my players once that if uh, substitution was allowed, you'd be out right now. <laughs> Uh, so I did say that and, and I sort of regret it and the guy was pretty tough so he can handle it. But um, anyways, um, I, I think that would be, that'd be too brutal. I think at the heat of the battle, I would hate for me to have even more choices and be able to hurt somebody's, you know, whole psychic for the rest of the season by pulling them out or something. It, because you- it's, so, it's so foreign to our, to our sport. Yeah, fair. I, my thing is I had a Jewish grandmother. And if you're raised by, you know, you have a Jewish grandmother in your life, it toughens you up real quick. Yeah, I got the so, so did life. I. So did yeah. I. I, I, was, I was also – I just wasn't raised by her, but my yeah. dad's mom was very Jewish, yeah. extremely. Uh, I just only saw her once a year, and, and that was about all I could possibly handle. She was, she was brutally honest and, and tough, tough lady. Uh, she, was, she was great. She was just very, very tough. I got the food groups lecture when I was four. Like my dad was like, you know, he doesn't understand any of that. And I was like, no, <laughs> dear. I was like, whatever. I was like, I really want this ice cream. Um, and she was like, no, Alex, you got to get your stuff together. Um, but anyways, yeah, I would also do, I mean, talk about getting funky, lawless lineups. You talk about you've got six guys. I don't care where we pick them. Well, okay, let's have some fun. Anytime you're on the road, it should be home team gets to pick how we match up. Let's just encourage home victories, parody, four, three matches. Let's make it ruthless. Yeah, why not? Have some fun. Yeah, that's. 
I can see that there's that's your trend with your uh, yeah. hypotheticals and your ideas. You want blood out there. You just want blood. <laughs> well, it's good for the business. You know, again, yeah. I didn't get in on Bitcoin soon enough or whatever they're called nowadays. And so right. yeah, I need carnage. I, I can see that. I see that. It's in your blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there is that is entertaining. I just, you know, I just think of the human aspect of the players that I'm just afraid that we might get too too much, too competitive. I, I love it. Well, then my last thing for you, 48th birthday, best gift was, other than this podcast, of course. Well, my my two boys were very excited about um, about my birthday. So for my birthday, they took me out to dinner with my credit card to their favorite restaurant. And I thought it was very thoughtful of them to to take me out to their favorite restaurant on my birthday. So that was, uh, we went to Texas de Brazil and uh, you, I don't think you've ever met a five-year-old that, that's asking for his meat uh, as red as possible, but uh, the, the waiter was very impressed. And I did get a really cool jacket that I really liked. So... That was it. probably that was probably the best one. Oh, that's awesome. Well, coach, it is always a pleasure for us to get the chance to chat with you. Hope you and the guys stay safe, stay healthy. And look, we obviously first weekend of the season. We're going to be looking forward to watching your team compete. So, thank you as always for taking the time to chat. Yeah, I hope you do get to watch us. I mean, we <laughs> we have uh six guys out there, so I I hope so. It's always great to be here. Happy holidays to all of you. Thank you. And again, thank you so much for everything that you do for college tennis. It's one of the best parts about our college tennis is you guys and really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to be here and giving me an opportunity to change topics at any minute. Yeah, I appreciate it. I didn't realize I should be saying happy Hanukkah to you, coach. So happy Hanukkah to you and yours. Yeah, there's a, there's a half, half my family is, is from there. So thank you. I love happy, it. Of course. Happy, yeah. happy, happy, happy holiday to you. Thank you. Travel well. safely, coach. And I'm sure we will. Thank you. Soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Yep. for Thanks. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Of course. Take care. Bye bye. Hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with TCU men's tennis head coach David Rodidi. A thank you to coach as always for taking the time to chat. It's always a good time whenever he joins this show. And I know we already mentioned it in the podcast. But Westoff, can I get a happy birthday sound effect for him to wrap our conversation? And again, if you want to hear more about this TCU team, you can go hear our conversation match Koya Chris Halioris and I had on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can read more about them on our website, CrackedRackets.com, read and learn more about them as well on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, we covered number nine, Arizona, number 10, Kentucky over the past few weeks as well on the men's side. On the women's side thus far, we've talked number eight, Duke, number nine, Texas A&M, number 10, Ohio State, all of that content available on the website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Mini Break Podcast, and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel so that you don't miss out on any of our content. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of any job they do day in, day out. With all of that said, for my fantastic co-host, Chris Halliors, our amazing guest, head coach David Roditi, super producers Fliegner and Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.